2: Hey everyone, happy new year. Thanks for downloading the Third Coast podcast. This is Katie Mingle, the producer of Resound. I want to take a second to say thank you to those of you who recently donated to Third Coast. Our individual giving campaign was hugely successful and the outpouring of support was really amazing. So, thank you really from the bottom of our hearts. One more thing we have a couple of internships. Uh, for which the deadline to apply is quickly approaching. So find out more about those on our website, thirdcoastfestival.org. All right, here's ReSound.
3: Everybody's afraid of something or other. It's very natural. From the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago, I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is ReSound.
4: Today's the day.
3: Sometimes we're afraid of big things, and sometimes we're afraid of very little
4: ones. From Krakow, it's another train, followed by a bus, and another bus, and another bus.
5: Being
3: afraid is is nature's way of reminding us that we should do something to avoid the danger, to avoid being harmed. ReSound is a remix of music, documentaries, found sound, sound bites, and other sonic tchotchkes we find all over the world. On the air, the web, we listen to everything we can get our ears on, then play you the best of what we hear each week. Each time you're afraid, try to understand whether there's really something to be afraid of.
4: I'm going to see the place my father came from, Budiwan
3: Sutski, in the southeast of Poland. Today we explore what it means to face a certain kind of fear, not the kind of fear you might have of spiders, heights, or enclosed spaces. This is the fear of the unknown, the fear of a dark place and time, and that what you discover there could be too painful to bear.
4: My dream is to see the house that he lived in, that his family had to abandon,
3: hoping that they might somehow survive the horror. Veteran radio producer Natalie Kesticher has always avoided visiting the land of her father's birth, Poland, because of what happened to her family during the Holocaust. Of her father and his four brothers, their parents and grandparents, only two survived and one remains unaccounted for. After the war, Kesticher's father moved to Australia to begin a new life. Enter Natalie, to whom Sydney was home and Poland was not only a world away, but a land of many ghosts, and she feared continued anti-Semitism. But with recorder in hand and pluck in heart, Kestetr did finally travel to Poland and came back with this story of her physical, spiritual, and emotional journey. Here's My Fear of Poland.
4: I've been putting it off for years, but now I'm going. I try to imagine what it will be like, but the only picture I get is one of darkness and fear. For as far back as I'm able to trace, my family lived in Poland. That all ended in the 1930s and 40s. Before the war, the Jewish population of Poland was around three and a half million. Now there is no official figure and some say that there are no more Jews in Poland, just concentration camps, cemeteries, and a few memorials. My mother and her immediate family were lucky enough to leave Poland before the war, but most of her father's relatives stayed and were murdered in the camps. My father's family came from a tiny place called Budiwansudski. He had four brothers, as well as his parents and grandparents. Of all of them, only my father and one brother survived. One by the name of Yitzhak was never accounted for. Lately, I've been hearing about festivals of Jewish culture in Poland. Who are they for, I wonder? Where's this interest in Jewish music, the Yiddish language, Jewish food and Jewish history coming from? And the more I hear about this interest, the more I think that maybe this country of my parents and my parents' parents is no longer such a scary place. But still I'm afraid. I fear not only what I'll find, but what I won't find. For a few weeks after booking my ticket, I avoid my travel agent's phone calls. He leaves messages telling me that I have to pay or my ticket will be canceled. I don't want to go. I want to stay in safe, secure Sydney. It was a pleasure
5: having you aboard, and we are looking forward to welcoming you again soon. We wish you a nice and safe stay, and wash or enjoy one more journey. Thank you. Take care and goodbye.
4: I expect to be overwhelmed with emotion when the plane hits Polish ground, but it doesn't happen. Perhaps I've been flying too long and am too tired to feel anything. The first impression as we drive through the streets to the hotel is that it's quiet, eerily quiet. Even the airport had been quiet, and now the streets are quiet. Milan, my companion, points out that it's very early, that it's normal for a city to be quiet at this time of day. But those are rational sentiments. I sense a deeper quietness. The quietness of an absence. Although most of me is crying out for sleep, I really want to go to the synagogue. I hardly ever go to synagogue in Australia, but here I feel compelled. It's Saturday morning, Shabbos, Sabbath. We find that the Nozhek synagogue is pretty close to where we're staying. It's the only synagogue in Warsaw to have survived the war, and the reason that it survived was because the Germans used it as stables for horses. The Warsaw Jewish community was once more than 350,000, almost a third of Warsaw's total population. There are about 40 worshippers here today. The tunes to the prayers are strangely familiar. When service is finished, we gather for Kiddish, the prayer for the wine. A boy with Down syndrome is reciting the prayer, but my attention is taken by an elderly man. Our eyes meet and know. I wish him good Shabbos, a greeting for the Sabbath. In broken German and Yiddish, he tells me he's been in Warsaw 65 years. Do you have many survivors in your community?
6: they are only survivors, right? Anyone over a certain age is a survivor. Anyone younger than a certain age is the child of a survivor or a grandchild of a survivor. I mean, even if you didn't get deported, you still suffered under the Holocaust. But here, where the Holocaust was in some ways more intense than almost anywhere else, it's still being worked on, still being worked out.
4: Michael Shudrich, a New Yorker, is the rabbi of the Nozick Synagogue in Warsaw. He's also the chief rabbi of Poland.
6: The healing process that began in the States, in Israel, in Australia, after World War II, only began here in 1989. So it's kind of, you know, compounded trauma. But the question really is, is that why should there be any Jews left in Poland? After all the horrible things that happened to the Jews even before the war, especially during the war, unfortunately after the war, why should there be any any Jews left in Poland today? September 1st, 1939, World War II begins. At that point, there are 3.5 million Jews in Poland. By the end of 1944, 90% of those Jews are no longer alive, having been murdered by Germans and their accomplices. That is so horrible, so overwhelming that most people don't then ask, well, what happened to the rest? We're the survivors. 10% of 3.5 million is 350,000 Jews still in Poland after World War II. The vast majority leave Poland in the 25 years after the war. If you want to maintain your Jewish identity, if you want to feel safe saying the statement, I am a Jew, It made good sense to leave post-Holocaust, Soviet-occupied, communist Poland. And the Jews left, but not everybody. And those who stayed basically were in agreement with those who left. If you want to maintain your Jewish identity, leave Poland. If you want to stay in Poland, leave being Jewish. And while a couple hundred thousand left, thousands, perhaps tens of thousands, stayed and left being Jewish. To the extent that they often didn't even tell their children and grandchildren. This deep, dark family secret stays a secret for 50 years until 1989, the fall of communism. And at that point, for the first time in 50 years, some of the survivors who had hidden the fact that they were Jews were beginning to feel, you know, maybe now I can tell my children, maybe now I can tell my grandchildren who I really am. And over the last 20 years, thousands and thousands and nobody knows how many thousands of Poles have discovered their real Jewish identity. And that's the story of Polish Jews today.
4: In the afternoon, we return to the synagogue for the service that marks the end of the Sabbath and a simple meal. We meet a woman in her 70s with a story she says she's too afraid to tell. I'm not sure what she's afraid of. She's never left Poland. Unable now to see even a crumb of food go to waste, she scowls at a young woman who's left a bit of her bread. The scowl doesn't work, so she takes the bread from the young woman's plate and eats it. She notices that a few teaspoons of mayonnaise remain in a little dish on the table. She takes her knife and scrapes every last bit of mayonnaise into her mouth and then explains that she just can't bear to leave food. Other members of the congregation also have their stories. A former skinhead is pointed out to me. He only found out that he was Jewish relatively recently. The girl he married was also a skinhead until she found out that her family was
6: Jewish. So it's very romantic. Two Polish skinheads meet, fall in love, and then one after the other discover they're really Jewish. So it's what I call from skinheads to covered heads.
4: So the question that everybody must ask you is about anti-Semitism.
6: Anti-Semitism here is not worse than almost every other country in Europe, and in some places certainly better or less. And so there's one immediate question, that is, Why? When everyone has this image of how bad things are in Poland, why am I saying the opposite? And I am saying the opposite. The two main reasons is, first of all, John Paul II. Pope John Paul II changed the Catholic Church and had more impact on Poland than anywhere else. Uh, his teaching of Jews as older brothers in faith, anti-Semitism as sin, basically radically changes Catholicism and radically changes Poland. The second reason is that Poles are very proud that they're building a new Poland. A new Poland after 50 years of a double occupation, first of Nazis, then of Soviet communists. Well, if you build something new, it means it's different than that which was old. And what was old was fascist, was communist, and often was anti-Semitic. So just as you reject the fascist and the communist aspect of your past, there are also people who reject the anti-Semitic. So you now have anti-anti-Semitism. Now, what you have here in Poland, which is, if not unique, then far wider spread than in any other European country, and that is today the sense of the obligation to preserve Jewish memory and Jewish culture. Jews lived here for almost a thousand years. They were very much involved in all aspects of Polish life, from culture to finance to literature. And this was ripped out of Poland mostly because of the Nazis, but then followed by the communists to the point where the Jewish community here is much, much smaller than it was before the war. I mean, if you create it before the war, it's infinitesimal. No matter what number you pick, it's infinitesimal. But one of the things I've seen happening, and really more intensely, even in the last year, after being here since 1990, and that it pulls having the sense that they have an obligation to preserve Jewish culture, tradition, and sometimes patrimony, sometimes the cemetery, a synagogue. I remember, you know, ten years ago, that the best intention friends that wanted to save the cemetery. Still would talk about saving your cemetery because it's you know it's there and it should and we should be respected. What I'm hearing in the last year or two, I hear it more from mayors, from grassroots people, from school directors, it was that we're saving our Jewish cemetery. Very subtle, very profound. <laughs>
4: start of
7: the festival. Państwo, ja Was zapraszam pod scenę, żebyście już tutaj się rozgrzali troszeczkę, bo mam nadzieję, że za chwilę uda nam się wspólnie troszeczkę, troszeczkę pobawić.
4: The festival of Jewish culture starts today with klezmer music and a variety of activities for children. They colour in pictures of old Jewish street scenes and play memory games with cards printed with Jewish symbols and Hebrew letters. The festival is also known as Singers' Warsaw and is supposed to evoke images of the city that the writer Isaac Basheva Singer once lived in.
3: It's called the, the picnic with uh, Isaac Bashevis singer. Okay. It's it's is Warsaw. Right. And
4: what are the children doing with the Lego blocks?
3: The children are building what uh, the so-called shtetl, which is the the, the old name of of uh, of a Jewish town.
4: And do the children know that they're building shtetl? Oh yes, they do. They, they, Yes, they
3: know that they are oh,
4: building okay. shtetls. Oh, okay. Yes,
2: last year they built
3: the huts in the village of Anatevka, which is, a, which is a village from this, well, Fiddler on the Roof. Right, okay.
4: Are these children Jewish children? No,
3: well, this is my son Pete and he's Polish. He's Polish,
4: aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Are the children here interested in Jewish culture? Oh, yes, I think so. Ah. Do they learn about it at school?
0: Yes, I think so, in the history lessons.
4: Although there's a lot happening at the festival, I'm trying to spend as much time as possible with members of Warsaw's tiny Jewish community. Apart from a few elderly people who are child survivors... Quite a few of the people I'm meeting are those that have only found in recent years that they have Jewish blood. In a country where being Jewish led to so many millions of deaths, it's hardly surprising that many concealed their backgrounds. And even after the war, it wasn't always safe to be Jewish in Poland. There were a number of anti-Jewish riots in Poland after the war, including the pogroms of June 1945 in Zeszów, August 1945 in Kraków and July 1946 in Kielce. There's never been a full report of the crimes committed against Jews in post-war Poland, but we know that between 1,500 and 2,000 lost their lives. The majority of those who'd survived the Holocaust and returned to Poland left by 1947. By the mid-50s, a number of anti-Jewish superstitions and stereotypes resurfaced and this led to new waves of Jewish migration. The Arab-Israeli War in 1967 triggered a massive witch hunt against Jews in Poland, which led to the removal of people of Jewish descent from their jobs. This state-sanctioned purge affected nearly the entire Jewish community, including even those who'd not been aware of their Jewish heritage. It led to a new wave of migration, and by 1969, most of Poland's Jews had left. But clearly, there were those who stayed. My name is Małgorzata
5: Ubińska. I live in Warsaw, in Poland. I was born in Poland. And in 1991, I discovered my Jewish roots. So it's 28 28 years ago.
4: Maguzhata is a member of Warsaw's reformed Jewish community, Beit Vashava.
5: I suspected that there is something strange with our family. Sometimes I was asking questions, are we Jewish? And there was no official deny, no, we are not. And I grew up in um, thinking that if you are Jewish, it is a secret, it is that big secret that you even don't talk about this at the family table.
4: So it wasn't even acknowledged between you and family members? It It was not. In
5: 1967, Uncle Leipko came to my mother... I was eight then, and they shut the door and I heard him saying, you must leave Poland, there will be dangerous for all of us. I couldn't understand what was it about, but I asked my mother later, why did he say such things? My mother didn't tell me and she yelled me that I was trying to hear what was it about and she left me with the sense of fear inside that I'm in an unsafety place. In 1991, my grandmother was sick. I was sitting by her bed and and she told me, you don't have to stay any longer because you are not my grandchild. Your mother is a Jewish child. And so you, you can leave because I'm not your grandmother. Uh, the situation was so touching, so so uh, emotional that I didn't want to continue this conversation and I left. A week later I was going to visit her again and uh, I received a phone call that she just passed away. And later I start asking questions to my mother. My mother for many years was denying. My mother didn't want to go through the process of being interviewed as a Holocaust child. Uh, there are some stories which were told by my mother. She didn't go through this conversation with a psychologist. She had scheduled a meeting three times, and every time she got sick. So uh, this protest against such conversation inside her is very very strong but she was telling several stories about a girl who survived under the dead body of her mother shot in the public execution Uh, she was telling me story about girl who lived for a long time who spent a lot of hours days months in the cellar my grandmother was telling the story that a German soldier was coming to drink milk at their house and he was taking newly born son of my grandmother on, on his knee and under his legs in the cellar there was the other small child.
4: And do you think that might have been your mother?
5: And it might have been my mother. Is she still alive?
4: Yes, my mother
5: is alive. She says that she does not want to change anything in her life. She wants to be buried in the Catholic cemetery. Every day now we are talking about this. And uh, there was sense in her, there was a sense of fear. For a long time she was sure that the only thing that we have to do is to convince the neighbors, people around that we are not Jewish. And her whole life she lived like that, convincing everybody that she's not Jewish.
4: Are you ever afraid that something terrible could happen again or of Polish anti-Semitism. Do you ever think about it? Um,
5: If I would say that uh, I I don't consider what can happen, I would be a little lying. Uh, Before I started to live my Jewish life, I had a lot of fears how people will react. When I crossed that border, I feel safer, I feel more secure, Because what I was afraid before did not happen. You know, I feel proud as a Polish woman. I feel proud as a Jewish woman. I truly understand that uh, both traditions are inside me. I love this country. I love Baltic Sea. I love Tatra's mountains. This is my country. And on the second hand, I feel Jewish. So it is not easy in a few words to explain what it is about. But if you think about two boats sailing one by one, so my one leg is on one boat, my second leg is on the second boat. And for me, the biggest task is to build catamaran out of these
4: two boats. As the days go by, my fear dissolves. In its place, there's confusion and sometimes even delight. I feel a little ambivalent about celebrating a culture in a place where it now barely exists. But at the same time, I feel encouraged by the interest and effort that goes into celebrating it. I'm happy to see in the festival program that there'll be a Chulant making workshop. Surely this is a sign of authenticity. Chulant is about as real as Jewish food can be. Made from cow intestine, stuffed with barley, potatoes, dried beans and smoked meat, it's cooked for hours and hours, and was traditionally a Sabbath meal. It's like a combination of earth, comfort, warmth and flavor. I don't believe that a chulant can be faked. It turns out that Golda Tensa, the director of this festival, and Jewish herself, feels the same way, and even sings about it before the workshop begins. Magda Gessler, a famous restaurant owner, gives instructions on how to make a good chulund. Scores of curious women armed with notebooks gather to write down the recipe.
1: I get to sample the chulund
4: and it's perfect. That afternoon, I chat with a Polish-born Jewish artist who doesn't wish to be identified. She tells me that it's very nice that Warsaw has this festival, very nice for Poles to see how Jews used to live, to hear the music they used to sing and to eat the food that they used to eat, just as long as they don't have to live with them now. For her, she says, the festival is a circus. There are no Jews here, she says, very, very few. In the evening I attend a concert of Yiddish song, A wonderful singer from Holland, Shora Lepofsky, has come to perform at the festival.
3: In the tradition of the revival, the Yiddish revival, we have this wonderful phenomenon that old songs are learned by my generation, like Martha Alpert, like so many of mine, and then old songs come back into the Yiddish world as new songs. Like this love song, Saposchkala, it's a very well-known yeah. popular song. So please, if you know it, join for the chorus. I like this <laughs> love song, Saposchkala, it's a very well-known vocal song. So please, if
1: you know
4: At first, I feel a bit ambivalent when the audience starts to clap along to her beautiful songs. Part of me feels an irrational anger with these appreciative polls, but after a while, the anger dissolves into the beauty of the performance and the warmth of the audience. <laughs> I feel warmth, but I also continue to feel the absence. The excitement and the activity of the festival sometimes compensate. But at other times, all the energy that's going into making people remember Jewish culture makes the absence feel even more pronounced to me. Today is the last day of the festival, and although there are all kinds of events on the program, the thing that I'm most interested in experiencing is Jewish Market Day on Projna Street. I'm curious to know how one organises a Jewish Market Day when there are so few Jews here. So far I've really quite enjoyed the festival, despite my initial fear that it would be a fake, a Jewish Disneyland. There's a lot of goodwill here, and I really have to admire Golda for organising this. But this last day feels strange. What are they selling? Old Jewish well, candelabras, candlesticks. Yes. Well, books. And...
1: And Jesus. And
4: statues of Jesus. That's
1: right. He was a Jewish. He was Jewish too.
4: In this Jewish marketplace.
7: Well, hey, look we... at these
4: guys dressed up. I'm... Are you a rabbi? Yes. Ah, yes.
6: yes. Ah, yes. yes. Not. No,
4: no. You're not. What's over here? Statues of the Virgin Mary and Jesus and whatever. The street is absolutely packed with people in Jewish fancy dress. Skull caps, fake beards, and black coats are everywhere. If this had been day one, I think I would have been horrified. But I've been here long enough now to realize that things are a little more complex than they seem. Oh, look at the stage set. Looks like something out of Fiddler on the Roof.
3: You're listening to My Fear of Poland by Natalie Kesticher on the Third Coast Festival's ReSound. Support for ReSound comes from Third Coast Percussion, presenting an evening of music for instruments made of metal. From the meditative resonance of Thai gongs to the clang of pots and pans. Friday, January 11th at 7.30 p.m. at the International House at the University of Chicago. For details, visit thirdcoastpercussion.com. Support for ReSound also comes from Mark Realty, providing its commercial real estate tenants with personal service and office buildings throughout the Chicago Loop and suburbs. More information about Mark Realty's services is available at markrealty.com. Let's get back to My Fear of Poland. If you're just tuning in, Kestacher has traveled to search for her family's Jewish roots in Poland. In the second half of our story, Natalie goes looking for the town where her father was born. Today's the day.
4: It's all been a big deal. Coming to Poland, meeting Jewish people in the place where I thought there were no longer any, going to synagogue with them, spending time at the festival. But today's a bigger deal than that. Because I'm going to see the place my father came from, Budiwansudski, in the southeast of Poland. My dream is to see the house that he lived in, that his family had to abandon, hoping that they might somehow survive the horror. I have no idea where the house is. As far as I've been able to establish, no paperwork remains. Nothing. The journey to Budiwan is not a direct one. We travel from Warsaw by rail to Krakow, where we meet up with Amilka, a student who's going to help us with translation. From Krakow, it's another train, followed by a bus and another bus and another bus. As we get closer to Budiwan I get more and more excited. The landscape becomes familiar even though I've never been here before. I imagine how amazed my long-gone father would have been if he'd realised I was going to one day do this trip. He'd never been able to face coming back to Europe after everything that happened, but at the same time, he always remembered with great longing the forests and the river, the seasons. By the time we arrive, I need more than ever the proof that my family was here, that my father lived here, that his house existed, that he was even born at all. All I really want to hear is for someone to say, I remember the Jewish family with the five sons. Oh, we've (laughs) arrived in Budi Oh, how amazing. As I walk along these fields, where I imagine my father once walked, I again feel the absence. The people that we're staying with have been telling us about all the Jewish families that once lived in the area, now all gone. The strongest, and yet at the same time the most hopeful absence, is the absence of Yitzhak, my father's brother, who was never found or accounted for when the dead were counted after the war. He's the strongest absence, but at the same time the strongest presence, because unlike the others who were accounted for in the death camps and the forests, the mystery of Yitzhak represents possibility. My understanding is that my uncles Yitzhak and Mordechai, as well as my father and grandfather, fled east to the Soviet Union, where my grandfather died. The three brothers were put on a train to labour camps in Siberia. My father stayed on the train, but Yitzhak and Mordechai jumped off. Mordechai made it back into Poland, where he was later shot by the Germans, but Yitzhak was captured and then never heard of again. My grandmother had stayed behind with her two younger sons, Aaron and Yankel. Like the steady trickle of people coming out of the woodwork in Warsaw, declaring their Jewishness, perhaps Yitzhak also survived by going into hiding, concealing his identity, maybe even changing his name. He'd be an old man now, but perhaps he had children who were never told. I search the faces of nearly everyone I come across for family resemblance. There is no shortage of people with the almond-shaped blue eyes that my father had and that his one surviving brother, Aaron had. Are they Yitzhak's children? His grandchildren? My cousins? It's really not impossible. Fortunately, I've not put all my energy into gambling on ghosts. I have the phone numbers of two people who want to help me. One is a good soul by the name of Anya, and the other is a history teacher named Waldemar.
1: To jest tak zwana metryka szkolna, czyli spis wszystkich dzieci, które chodziły do szkoły.
4: Oh, he's got the registry is, of mm-hmm. students from the. So is this the Budylanski school? From mm.
1: the school, Markus Keszteher.
4: Mm-hmm. Valdemar presents me with the greatest gift I can imagine on our first night.
1: Mm-hmm. He has the school register,
4: and in the school register are the names of my father and my uncles and all the other Jews who once lived here. Mudachai. Yes. Israel.
1: Ah, that's my father. Moses yeah, Israel. That's Israel.
4: him. Israel.
1: Moses Baila. Mm -hmm. 25 maja 1924.
4: The school register also has the address of the family house. Mm.
1: Budy Łańcuckie, Mm. number 12. Uh, To jest adres pod którym mieszkali.
4: What's that? Where where they lived.
1: Address, address.
4: number 12. What number?
1: 12. Jutro tam pojedziemy.
4: Miraculous. I can't believe it. Can Can I see again? I ask Valdemar if I might be able to see the house. He says tak in his low-key way, and I want to hug him. Tak means yes in Polish. I ask him if there are any Jews left in this part of Poland, and he says nie, no. I like this place.
7: Really about
4: it. I don't know. It's just really I don't know. I just like it. In the morning we walk before breakfast alongside fields and forests through fog and later sunshine. I sound like I've taken some kind of love drug. Remember when I arrived in Warsaw? Mm. I said I felt nothing. I felt no connection. Mm-hmm. But I feel it's beautiful. Look how beautiful it is. Spacer? Spacer. That's walking?
2: We are walking.
4: Spacer. I think I'm going to study Polish. Spacer. So that forest over there is um, where... What's the woman's name? Stanislava. Stanislava said Jews were hidden in that forest and that house over there was a Jewish house. It all makes sense now. I finally understand why my father lived the way he lived in Australia. Why he preferred to live in an old timber cottage with an overgrown bushy yard why in that bushy yard he kept all kinds of animals. He was trying to recreate his own version of the place I walk in now. The whole time I'm here, I'm speaking to him in my head, dictating letters to him, missing him, finally knowing him. Soon I'll know him even better. Valdemar wants me to see my father's school and the path that he would've walked when he used to go there. And I'm going to see the house.
1: Natali, on the left, mm-hmm. uh, it is your family house, Which tu. one? Tu przed nami za, za tymi drzewkami. On
4: the left is the family tu. house.
1: Ot tu jak za zakrętem, ze w prawo dasz tą krzyżówkę, my sobie tu wyskoczymy. Tu. Here. This one. Tak.
4: The yellow one. Tak. Hmm. <laughs> you get out, take Please. Is it okay?
1: Uh, yep.
4: Yellow. Yellow. It's wonderful. That's number twelve. Tak. Our family has. I feel a bit afraid that the people living there might turn on us, that they'll think that the Jew has come back to reclaim her property. It's not total paranoia. This has been the experience of many Jewish people who've returned to Poland. Luckily, happily, joyously, this is not the case today. It's incredible. Our family house is yellow. (laughs) The lady of the house doesn't look very happy. But the teacher is telling her that my family used to live here, I think. Maybe she's a bit worried, do you think? Yes. It's okay. For a moment, I fantasise that maybe Yitzhak came back after the war and lived here and had a family and that this woman is his daughter. But she explains that she's only lived here for 15 years. I try to look past the crosses and the saints on the walls and imagine my father playing here as a child, happily oblivious to what the future might hold. It's the most beautiful house I've ever seen.
7: Proszę bardzo.
4: Oh, look at the ceilings. Nice ceilings. Mm.
1: <laughs> to już jest nowe wszystko, tak. ale to jest oryginalne. The timber,
4: the this is all original. The doorways, the tak. timber is all
1: original. Mhm, mhm. Tak i pokojech był?
7: Po drugiej stronie to były obory. No teraz przerywamy mm-hmm. to na mieszkania. Wejść. Dalej.
1: We go can go. To the kitchen.
7: To się Jak
1: this is not original. To jest, to jest nowe. Yeah, it's new. Mm. Mm-hmm.
4: Ah, no. uh, the Yeah. Like they called my father's <laughs> house tak. in Australia. Tak. The <laughs> Yeah. Mm. Outside. Okay.
1: To jest też original.
4: This is original. Tak. Wow, it's really low ceiling, huh? This is all original. So maybe my father slept here. M- maybe? Tak.
2: Tak.
4: No
1: jest... here. Yeah. Who knows
4: We're going now to the home of Anya, the woman who's helping because she can. Shortly after we arrive, there's a knock at the door and an elderly woman comes in. Her name is Anyela, and she was the neighbour of our family and she remembers the family and the five sons and she cries and explains that she thought all had been murdered by the Germans. That my father and his brother Aaron survived and came to Australia and had families is miraculous for her. Anyela. Anya, Anya's family, Valdemar, Milan, Emilka, and I all I mean, sit around the I dining can. table, uh-huh. eating apple cake, drinking homemade wine, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and crying. Um, but you remember Yitzhak well.
7: Izaka. 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 Yitzhak? Yitzhak. Izaka. 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 Izaka when he was in he was in May.
4: Of all the brothers, Aniela remembers Yitzhak the best, the brother who was never accounted for. Apparently, he was about a year older than her, and used to lend her his school textbooks because her family couldn't afford them. She also remembered that my grandfather lent her father a cow for milk one year, when they were having financial
7: difficulties. I'll show a photo, maybe... Mm -hmm. Aaron. she recognises. (laughs) <laughs> <Quite funny>. He <laughs> was funny.
4: She laughs as she remembers some stories about Uncle Aaron, who was apparently a good-looking mischief
7: maker. Mm-hmm.
2: Your grandpa uh, sometimes borrowed uh, them money.
4: Lent them, Lent them money. Mm-hmm. But not all of her memories are happy ones. She describes how my father and his two brothers walked with their heads lowered when they were forced to leave Poland and go east, leaving the rest of the family behind. She remembers the night that she and her father found my uncle Aaron hiding from the Germans in their cowshed. She remembers him begging her father not to
7: turn him into the Germans which is studied Sandra is pursuing a career as a lamp-lighter and this young man, so to speak, a fashionable young man, death. And my voice, my voice is not lying. That was strange, really.
4: She speaks of a story that she heard from her father about the time he found my grandmother hiding with one of her sons in the forest. He gave her bread and assured her that he wouldn't report her. He said that she had her holy book with her and that she was praying. Mm. She also tells of the neighbour, whose job it was to drive my grandmother and her small son to the place where they were shot dead after they were found hiding.
7: The driver,
4: he was only doing his job, she says, said that my grandmother was calm and quiet, but that she must have known that she and her son were about to be murdered.
7: To zal kurmania dończy anbe wyswanu od od hui ta co saute sa on zawis zawisio sobie nie panikowała nie żeby tam była że przestraszona że że się bała że ją zabiją albo coś pojechała
1: A nie pamięta paní, kto
7: nie pamiętam nie
1: wiem kto
4: After speaking to Aniela, Valdemar and Anya drive us to various locations in the area where members of my family hid, were sometimes helped and were ultimately hunted down. We drive past land which was apparently my family's land. They say that my grandmother attempted to hide here before the cold forced her to seek shelter in a stable. I'm shown the stable where Aaron hid for a while after my grandmother and her youngest son were captured. My stomach is churning, as I imagine my grandmother's fear. All the fear. Valdemar is also keen to show us a piece of land, a few kilometers away, where Aniela says my uncle Mordechai was
1: shot and buried. Uh, So Mordechai probably is buried somewhere
2: there but they don't know exactly where
4: so probably he was shot somewhere
2: here
1: a mnie mówi że tutaj y, został zastrzelony tutaj go po prostu zakopali jak ona to powiedziała
2: I, he was shot there, here but eventually they might be able to find probably no, they don't know if he is still there there
7: dawstąpim jeszcze do jednej pani ona tu mieszka I asked her
2: to remembers where they were shot we to a woman who uh, remembers uh, where just were uh, shot. Mm.
4: Waldemar well. hey. mm. checks with some elderly women who live next to the place and they confirm it to be true. Milan uses his iPhone to record the exact coordinates of this place. The euphoria I felt only this morning as I walked alongside fields and forests has dissipated and I spend a long and sleepless evening pondering the stories and sights that I've experienced today. Those forests that were so beautiful just this morning have seen too much. I can't stop imagining the fear my family must have felt, my grandmother's fear, my uncle's fear, and my father's fear. I wonder as well about the fear that I had about coming to this country and if it was a learned fear, an inherited fear. Still, I farewell Poland with great sadness. Not only has this visit helped me to understand who my father was, it's shown me that the memory of Jewish Poland still exists. In some places, at least. I'm hopeful that anti-Semitism, really is being replaced by anti-anti-Semitism, as the chief Rabbi of Poland told me, and that more Jews will feel more secure about telling their children and grandchildren who they really are. I even fantasize that one day I'll meet other Jews in Budiwan Sudski. But the greatest thing I take away from here is the knowledge that those who say that there are no more Jews in Poland are wrong. And regardless of how small the community is, there is an energy here, not only an absence.
3: My fear of Poland was produced by Natalie Kesticher with Stephen Tilley for 360 documentaries on the Australian Broadcasting Corporation's Radio National. To hear more work by Natalie, including the 2001 Third Coast Award winner Von Trapt, check out our website, thirdcoastfestival.org. Resound is a production of the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxai. The program is produced by Katie Mingle and curated by Johanna Zorn and Julie Shapiro of the Third Coast Festival. You can hear today's program at thirdcoastfestival.org, where you can also hear hundreds of outstanding documentaries from around the world. And subscribe to our podcast. Support for Resound comes from Dojo, a full-service digital agency, on the web at doejo.com. Dojo, we fuel ideas that grow. Resound is also supported by Emma, a web based email marketing and communication service helping businesses and nonprofits manage their email campaigns and online surveys in style. More at myemma.com. The Third Coast International Audio Festival is a nonprofit arts organization made possible with lead funding from the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. Additional support is provided by the Agadino Foundation and the Menaki Foundation. The Third Coast International Audio Festival is supported in part by a grant from the Illinois Arts Council, a state agency. Special thanks to our many individual contributors from Chicago and around the world. The Third Coast Festival was founded in 2000 by WBEZ Chicago. If you want to contact us, we would love to hear from you. Email us at resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. Resound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else unless you live everywhere else.
2: You've been listening to the Third Coast Podcast. Stay connected with us through Facebook and Twitter or by signing up for our email list at thirdcoastfestival.org. If you like what you heard today, consider writing us a review on iTunes or sending us a few bucks. As always, thanks for listening.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well...